Hello and welcome to According to John. I am your host, John Westfall, and I thank you for tuning in. I have uh, some an interesting topic that's uh, not so much going to be about scripture, but it's going to be about what's going on in our school systems. You know, so many school systems today, they're bringing in the LGBTQ training, transgender training, trying to teach new pronouns and uh, telling teachers that they need to learn how to use pronouns with students that if they are a girl and they want to be a boy, that they got to learn how to call her a him and, and a they and a them. And they've changed the dictionary of those words. It's just like, this is a messed up, messed up world that we're living in. And it's only becoming more and more corrupt. Well, I put up a video on YouTube and the video that I put up on YouTube was a video of Gilderland High School in New York. They had a meeting where they brought in some people from Gleason, G-L-S-E-N, Gay, Lesbian, Straight, Educational Network, I think is what it's called. And so Gilderland High School calls them in and tells them to do faculty training to teach the teachers how they should speak with students that want to be different. So they put it out on YouTube. I took it from YouTube. Now, it's not copyrighted. That's public information. They put it out. There was no copyright on what they put out. And then the school or someone with the school system, whoever it was, contacted YouTube, put in a complaint that I put up copyrighted material. And, and it wasn't. There's nothing on it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to play the video in its entirety. So it's 54 minutes long or whatever it is. And if you want to listen to see what's going on and what they're trying to teach the teachers on how to deal with the students, then I invite you to hang in there and watch it because it's either in your school now or it's coming to your school and you might want to investigate it. So the school system contacts YouTube, YouTube takes it down. They put a strike on my account and I'm just frustrated with that. And I'm frustrated because number one, they lied saying it's copyrighted. It's not copyrighted. And the other, it is public information, taxpayer dollars, paid for this to be done unbeknownst to them. And there are many parents, many parents, yes, even in New York, there are many parents, especially upstate New York where we are, that is still conservative. And they have conservative values and they have a desire to keep this type of stuff out of the school. There's no need for it to be in the school. The school is supposed to be teaching curriculum instead of giving classes on how to change pronouns and how to mess up the English language and how to continue to support behavior that is not appropriate. If you are a boy, you are a boy. And if you are a girl, you are a girl. If you wish to be different, okay, be different. That's your option. But the entire rest of humanity does not have to change 
what is truth to accommodate a fantasy world. We, we don't need to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this up. It's going to be in its entirety. If Again, if you wish to listen to it, please do. Also, maybe you can learn from it, and uh, maybe it'll make you aware of what's going on in the schools and how they're overstepping their boundaries. And the most frustrating part about this is they put it up on YouTube. Then they started getting backlash. They pulled it down. Well, I already had it. So I put it up on YouTube for parents that wanted to hear what's going on and the truth of what's happening in their school. And then they the school or, again, somebody in the school or with the school or somebody that has an interest in indoctrinating the school system contacts YouTube, lies to them and tells them it's copyrighted, and then they pull it down and then I get a strike against me. So you won't find this on YouTube because, as you well know by now, YouTube takes anything down of freedom of speech, anything down that goes against their agenda, anything down that is against their community standards. And I don't know if you've noticed, but YouTube has no community standards. Twitter has no community standards. Facebook has no community standards. The only standard they have is what they want, their agenda, what they want to push on us. And it's, to be quite frank, it's incredibly frustrating that everyone else has to change for them. And yet they say, oh, we want everyone to be comfortable. No, they want those that have their belief comfortable. They do not want anyone that disagrees with them comfortable. And they want everyone to have rights and everyone to be represented unless it goes against their agenda. Well, we're not going to do it. Were we, <laughs> golly, oh, dear Jesus. Guys, I'm going to start the video, and I hope you uh, hang in there. Again, it's 55 minutes, but I think you'll learn a lot. And what you will really see is the brainwashing. The, the, the guy that comes in and does a speech says right up front, I know you're here because of contractual duty, right? Not because we want to be here, but because we're forced to be here. He starts out saying, we don't care about your rights. We only care about our agenda. All right, I'm done venting. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I'm here to introduce our presenters today. They're here from GLSEN, which is the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network. Um. So these are two of our board members, and they are willing to stay after if you have questions at the end. Um, Jordan Bucci Mooney is a student at Utica University, and she is a longtime LGBTQ advocate, and she's also president of her GSA at Utica. So if you want to give Jordan a big gildo and welcome. And the other person up here is Imran Abbasi. Imran is the Assistant Superintendent of Human Resources in the Troy City School District. So if we want to give Imran a big gildo and welcome. All right. Thanks for being here. Do you want to click, do the clicker? So Jordan and I have been doing some of these presentations for since Jordan was in high school. 
and I was a high school principal. Uh, so we've been doing some of these for a while. So we just want to first say thank you for coming. Um, I know it's a faculty meeting. You probably have to be here contractually, but thank you for coming anyways. Um, I'll go through and introduce myself, my pronouns. Um, and we also talk about why we're here, right? So my name is Imran Abbasi. My pronouns are he, him, his. Um, my background is a classroom teacher, uh, then turned to the dark side, a high school principal for about nine years, uh, then a K-12 director in Niskayuna, and now an assistant superintendent for human resources. Um, Gilliland's a special place for me. I did my student teaching in this building, high school economics, with Mr. Hotelling, if any of you were around in that time. Yeah, some, some people who know Mr. Hotelling, this is it's a fantastic experience. Uh, I went from working with Mr. Hotelling, then going to Livingston and working in an inner city school at Alt Ed, so it was a little bit of a, of a culture shock for the switch. Um, I'm also uh, a parent in the district, so um, you're going to get my oldest in a couple of months. Um, don't be mad. Really, I apologize ahead of time. He's really actually a sweet kid, uh, and if you think he's rough, his younger brother is way worse. So. I'm not going to leave my email because you're going to tr track me down. Uh, and my wife works at Farnsworth. Um, so I have some connections here, so I was glad to do the presentation here. Um, what we also do is talk about why Glisten and why we do the work. Right? So my work is not as someone who's a member of the LGBTQ community. My work is as an ally. And I'm very upfront and honest about why I started working with Glisten and what my introduction to Glisten was. It wasn't through some great purpose. It wasn't because I was looking to volunteer. Uh, I had no clue I'd be joining a board or being a presenter for this organization. Uh, I came to Glisten pretty much as someone who needed assistance and needed help. Uh, as a high school principal, I had a student transitioning, or I thought transitioning, probably my second year working as a high school principal. And it completely threw me for a loop. I was not prepared for what he was going to bring to my building or bring to my office that day. And so he started talking to me about things like gender fluid, uh, and I had no clue what that meant. He also came to school in a skirt, fishnet stockings, high heel boots, full-on makeup, but with a goatee and a mustache, completely threw me a loop. I didn't know what the hell he was doing. So I was like, I'm not sure, it, like, you have to pick. And I remember we were talking to the kids saying, you're going to have to pick a side. Like, I'm not sure. Do you want to be a boy? Do you want to be a girl? And I thought those were the only two realms that he could fit into, and he had to fit in one. And he was very uh, articulate in explaining to me in a very nice way without calling me an idiot, which he probably should have at the time. Uh, but he said to me, Mr. Bossy, look, this is what I'm most comfortable, and this is how I feel comfortable coming to school. I don't consider myself really at this point male or female. I kind of, somewhere in the middle, I'm gender non-binary and sometimes gender fluid. The one thing I did know at the point was I probably shouldn't ask him any more questions. I should probably learn. Uh, and so that's when I reached out to Glisten and started getting some information. And as I got more information, I learned, one, I need to learn a whole lot more. Uh, if I want to be a good principal or an educator and protect the kids in my building, the most vulnerable kids, I'm going to have to learn first. And I can't ask the students to teach me. And that's the one thing, I guess the biggest lesson I'll take away, is you can't ask your students who are already vulnerable for them to teach you. You're going to have to do some of this work on your own. And part of what we do is give you the resources to do some of that. So really, what I, the reason I go on and on about this is not everybody that works with Glisten, we're all volunteers, but not all of us are in the community. Some of us are allies. Anyone here in the room can be an ally and help and support. Um, it's really about learning, getting information, and knowing what your resources are in order to do the best for your kids as you progress along. And part of what we'll talk about today will be gender, 
because that tends to be what we get the most questions about in our organization, and that tends to be where people struggle the most when we start having some of these conversations about gender and where kids fall in that gender and gender spectrum, and then how do you respond as a school for some of those situations. So hopefully we can give you some answers, but a lot of what I hope we'll do today is provide you resources and general information. Thank you, Imran. All right, um, Imran covered a lot about what Glisten do, does and how he got involved. I'm gonna do something similar, but first let me introduce you. My name is Jordan, I use she, her, hers pronouns. As Marcia said, I am currently a student at Utica University in their physical therapy program, and I'm a double minor in human rights advocacy and the philosophy of law. I started working with Glisten when I was 15 years old. I'm 21 now. And I, at the time, was the youngest person in the nation giving this type of training to teachers, which, as Imran pointed out, the students really shouldn't be the ones educating. However, I am more than happy to do so because I grew up in the community. Um, I've been educating since the time I could articulate that I had lesbian parents. I have a transgender little brother, and I myself identify as queer, and I'm very out and present in my college community. So I started really working with advocacy in junior high and through that work in starting a GSA at my junior high at Shaker, a um, little bit of a rivalry between Gilderland and Shaker. As I started with the junior high there, I got connected to the broader community and was introduced to Glisten and asked to be on the board, which I gladly accepted. Through that, we started a LGBTQ youth leadership program uh, that I was privileged enough to facilitate for for three years while I was in high school. And now I get to come back from college and speak to all of you beautiful people about things that I am very passionate about. So I would like everybody to look at this sort of structure for introductions that we have on our slides because learning how to use pronouns is incredibly important. It sounds like such a trivial thing but if you introduce yourself with your pronouns to a class of students on day one, they are gonna know that you are a safe person. It is very easy to do, it's a slight change, but if you understand how pronouns work, that student will feel all the more comfortable coming up to you and discussing difficult topics, which ultimately is the goal. We want students to be comfortable, feel safe in school at all times. So usually when I introduce myself, I always include my pronouns in any new spaces. Um, it's super easy. You say your name and your pronouns after the fact. There are a lot of different pronouns that are currently in use, including they, them pronouns, which a lot of people struggle with at first, but has been um, officially added to dictionaries as singular use at this point. So. It should be rather comfortable after some practice. It doesn't take that long. You just have to be consistent with it. And if you mess up by accident, just correct yourself. It just takes practice. So right now, if you're next to someone, friend, coworker, turn and introduce yourself with your pronouns, if you would, please. How are we doing? Good, I'm still the time wise. Okay. We're good. No, we're good. Plus, we can all 
All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. So the the other part too. Lots of pronoun use. Um, the other part too, I would recommend is using it in your uh, your email. Uh, so when you when you have emails and you have your signature on the bottom, I would recommend you also put it on your signature for all of your administrators. This is my HR hat. I would also suggest any of your administrators because I've been. Um, emailing back and forth with a couple candidates in my district, and actually a couple of them have mentioned um, the pronoun usage, right? So it's not only about making students comfortable, we're in, a, we're in a pretty tight teaching labor market, so it's also about making your teachers comfortable and making your teachers feel like they're welcome. So a lot of the stuff isn't just about your students, it's also about how you treat your staff and how staff are comfortable and where they choose to work. Um, and everywhere right now is struggling with that. So my hat now in that role, that's a pretty big one for me. Uh, so today's intention, uh, we want to give you an overview of GLSEN. There's a lot that we cover, and typically we do small groups and we don't do full faculty, so we're kind of adapting things a little bit. So we're going to try and get as much in this time period as we can. So overview of GLSEN, the support we provide, reviewing statistics about LGBTQ student experiences. That's the one I'll probably talk about the most, uh, and that's the one that I kind of have the most advocacy for, just given what our students' experience is like in school. Uh, then broadening definition of gender and the work of gender studies and providing strategies and resources for supporting students in your school. And Jordan's going to probably talk more uh, about gender and gender studies specifically because um, those are two different areas that we both are pretty passionate about uh, that we want to share as we go along. Do you want to read the GLSEN stuff? Mm -hmm. All right. So a couple things with GLSEN overview. Um, we really are, are an organization that envisions a world which uh, every child learns to respect and accept all people. Uh, and, and we even changed the name. The name's been GLSEN, used to stand for Gay, Lesbian, Straight Educational Network, but it doesn't even stand for that anymore because we don't even feel like that title in itself was inclusive. So really the goal is to make sure that all stu students uh, feel that they're included and part of the school community. We don't focus on anything other than K-12 education. We don't uh, deal with high school students or college students. We don't talk about anything other than, than K-12 because we feel like that focus in and itself is really important. The one thing that GLSEN does that I think is great is everything we're going to talk about is research-based. Uh, so we do a climate study every two years. I don't know if you've ever given it to your students, but every two years we do a national climate study where we look at how students feel in school and based on certain factors. Um, and that's where we get our information from. Uh, so we use those national studies to help drive the work we do, the PD we do, and the research that we share with you is all done by the, the department in GLSEN. Um, what we work on is we work on the local level. So GLSEN National, they're the ones probably with the lots of money and they get the, the million dollar donors, like Target's one of our donors and lots of others. Um, we're sort of more the boots on the ground. So they do the research, they do the statistics, and we work with that research as we go along. So with GLSEN, after the research end of things, a big part of what they try to do is make students feel comfortable and visible through events at schools. So one of the things that was always a big hit at Shaker, I don't know how popular it is at Gilderland, was a Day of Silence. We usually had between 400 and 500 students every year that participated in the Day of Silence, and it's something that I've been running since I was 13-ish around that time. 
And ultimately, it is an event where students take an oath of silence for the entire day to draw attention to the silencing effect that bullying has on LGBTQ students. This is a very difficult event for a lot of students. It's a very powerful event. And locally, we have something called breaking the silence at the end of that day, where LGBTQ students and their allies are invited to come together. Uh, usually about 20 districts are re uh, represented at our event. And there's a speak out. And high school and middle school students come together and speak about their experiences throughout the day and tell their stories. And usually that's a very difficult and empowering process. And I think it's very important to draw attention to the work that everyday students are doing within their own schools, just trying to get recognition of their own identities. They also host events like Ally Week, which happens towards the beginning of school, and No Name Calling Week. Every school does those things a little bit differently, but GLSEN does offer a lot of resources for GSAs as to how to get started. We work towards creating inclusive policy as well, and there are outlines for drafts to write to administration to help form those inclusive policies. And this is actually a little outdated. We have over 40 chapters at this point in time um, locally. We just got one out in Syracuse, my way. So there's a lot that GLSEN covers. We're going to do as best we can to give you an overview in the 50 minutes that we have today. But um, the big thing that we want to focus in on is the research, because that's ultimately the best representation of what students are experiencing in schools nationwide. And we also have some statistics about New York State specifically. And I will hand that over to you. Okay. Uh, so we'll talk about the research end, and then we're going to talk about specifics in New York State. So I remember when I was a high school principal, when GLSEN came in and they did some of these presentations, and I think a lot of folks were like, well, that doesn't really count for here. Like, maybe that's Texas, and maybe that's Florida, maybe that's... So we'll talk about some national st statistics, and then we'll talk about state statistics, and then I can also tell you regionally what it looks like or what, what kids have dealt with or what they're feeling like. So the top five reasons students are bullied at school, appearance and body size. Two is sexual orientation, three is race and ethnicity, four is academic ability, and five is gender expression. So when we think about GLSEN and the work that we do, really two of those uh, between sexual orientation and expression are two things that we spend a lot of our time focusing on because those are two of the main reasons why kids are bullied. One of the other parts, too, that's really interesting is this idea of intersectionality. So if you've done intersectionality in your classes at all, it's the fact that kids don't typically fall in one bubble, right? They're just not in one box. So when we're looking at this intersect of things like appearance and body size and gender expression or things like race and ethnicity and sexual orientation, um, those are all things that are not just one particular buckets, but two. So if you want to do some research, we don't do a lot of stuff with adults, but if you want to look at the most persecuted group in our country, if you know what that group is, it's trans women of color, right? So it's that idea of intersectionality. It's not just one bucket. There's multiple. But your kids don't come to you with one bucket. They're, they're not just one thing. They're not multi. They're not single-faceted. They're multi. So... 
They're two times as likely to have missed school in the past for feeling unsafe or uncomfortable. So if your main mission is to educate kids, they need to be in the door to be here. If they don't feel comfortable and they're not recognized for who they are as a person, they're not going to come to school. Next slide. And then they're also three times less likely to report on finishing school. So that student that I talked to you about that sort of got me down this path did not graduate. And I, you know, for the work that we all try to do to get that person comfortable to be a high school graduate didn't really work for us um, because I think a lot of it was what they felt not just from the school but kids around them and were we ready at that point to accept him as he was. And that really I don't think was that place and that building at that time. I'd hope maybe now would be a little bit different 10 years later, but in that moment, we weren't ready for it as a community or as a school. To add on to that from a student perspective, one of my favorite stories that was told to me by another board member that I try to bring up at each of these trainings is she worked in a middle school and there was a boy who was in her GSA club and he really didn't come to school all that often, but he never missed Wednesdays, ever. Because every Wednesday, there was a GSA meeting, and he could come, and he kept a pair of heels in his teacher's closet for GSA, and he would wear them for that hour in GSA, because that was the only space that he felt comfortable enough to do so. So he never missed school on Wednesdays. Additionally, my little brother, who just turned 18, and is on track to graduate high school and go to college. I'm very proud of him. He switched out of Shaker and started going to the HVCC program because Shaker was so difficult for him. Despite me being there for years and giving trainings and setting up GSA and going back and doing trainings and even with some supportive staff, it was very difficult for him. So he had enough credits and enough AP and honors classes that he switched to HVCC early. And ultimately, he found his path and it's the right one for him. And I'm so happy that he will be going to school and is confident in himself and has support systems in place. But being able to be safe at school is the number one priority. Uh, so one of the things Glisten's done the last couple of years is they've targeted the research. So we talked a little bit. Can you go back one slide? So every two years we do a research study. So this, this is an old slide. Sorry, I was lazy. I couldn't find the new one. Uh, but there's a 2019 slide. Uh, but basically every two years we do a research study and we, we basically do research throughout the, re the, the country. And then they've started to break it down state by state because when we would do these presentations, we'd realize some of the stuff maybe fits us and maybe some of the stuff doesn't. And so what Glisten's done the last few years is they've been really good with targeting the research and targeting specific information about what it looks like in states. So the stuff that I'm going to talk about is what it looks like in New York State. And so these are percentages of students hearing anti-LGBTQ remarks from students in New York State schools. And you could see 92% of kids in New York State schools have heard anti-LGBTQ remarks. 77% have heard homophobic remarks like fag and dyke and gay. 77% heard remarks about gender expression. And 66 heard negative remarks about transgender people. So if you think about a transgender student or a student who's the LGBTQ student, what are they listening to or what are they hearing in school? 
The other one to the right is the harassment and assault in schools. And if you can look at the numbers, there's verbal harassment, but the numbers for physical harassment and physical assault are pretty sad when you think about it. So again, when I would do this years ago, people were like, well, these don't happen in New York State schools. It does, right? So you're looking at 22% of students have had some form of physical harassment over sexual orientation, 20 for gender expression, and 20 for gender. And then physical assault, meaning leading to harm or hospitalization or police charges, you're really at 10%, 8%, and 8%. That's a pretty high number when you think about 10%. So in your classroom, if you've got 20 kids in a class, two of those kids could have been physically, ass physically assaulted, and one could have been hurt pretty significantly because of their gender, their gender expression, right? So when you think about numbers in that sense, it sort of sticks out a little bit, like are we really doing enough to protect these students when they're here in school? So harassment assault based on gender expression, very similar statistics, more than half were verbally harassed, two in 10 were physically assaulted, one in 10 were, phys or I'm sorry, two in 10 were physically harassed, one in 10 were physically assaulted. This is over your gender expression. Again, still New York. I'm gonna go here. So this is the one I wanna look at and talk to you about the most. And this is the one that I sometimes get the most feedback or the, the, the head roll or the, the not here. The vast majority of LGBTQ students in New York heard anti-LGBTQ remarks. Homophobic remarks from staff, 12%. Negative remarks from staff about gender expression, 31%. So this is not from kids, this is what they're hearing from adults, right? And so this is what, adult, what kids are hearing in the building, whether it's a conversation between two teachers, whether it's a conversation adults having out in public, or whether that's something that they're overhearing. Now, the reason why I bring this to your attention is because this happens in every single building. And I, and I would be hard for me to imagine that this building would be any different than any other building with any other staff that I've ever worked with, where something wasn't said maybe not in a negative connotation, maybe not in a negative way. It may have been someone just doesn't know, or maybe they weren't sure, or maybe it was just something they weren't sure about or asking a question. What I would say is really be careful about what you say about gender or the questions you have and using those questions or asking those questions in the right place and being careful with who's around you. And I was also guilty of this. You'd be in the middle of a conversation with a colleague, you'd forget you've got kids right there, People have said things and kids listen to everything. They take home everything that comes out. But if anything I get out of these presentations is this happens in every building. I don't think it's mean and malicious in most cases. I think it's people maybe needing to ask questions and understanding where to ask questions or what to ask. But for students, 31% of students hear negative remarks from staff about gender expression says we still have work that we need to do. And where are they here and what are they hearing? And I know as a, as a high school principal, when I had the conversation with my staff about bathrooms, is probably where that came out the most, right? And so there's a time and place to express your questions or concerns about gender or gender bathrooms or who's using which bathrooms. And that was a huge topic, I don't know how many years ago when I was a principal, but that was a really big deal. And I think my kids probably walked away, if they ever heard that faculty room conversation, probably walked away with a very different perception of the faculty. Again, I don't think it was necessarily a like mean-spirited. I think we were in some points having conversations. So if you're going to have those difficult conversations, please think about where they are. You know, even right now, I don't know which kids are walking out around the building and they're doing track and they're going to run laps in the hall. You don't always know what they're going to hear. So if you're going to have some of those difficult conversations, be really thoughtful about where you're going to have them and how you're going to have them and what people are in the room when those conversations are taking place because the kids are listening. 
Um, the last one, intersectionality, I kind of already touched on that, but the interconnected nature of social characterizations that we talked a lot about, a little bit about. Victimization in school based on disability, race and ethnicity, and religion. So if you look at those numbers plus those other numbers we discussed about students who are victimized in school because of gender or gender expressions, you add disability, race, ethnicity, and religion, that compounds it. And the other the issue that I've been dealing with is questions about students with intellectual disabilities and gender. Lots of questions about that. And that's, that's an interesting area, students with disability, students with um, race and ethnicity questions and how they're treated in school. And so those are just more areas. So school's the forefront on a lot of things. It's not an easy task at all being in school, but just being aware of some of these issues is really important. And I know some people like to take notes and follow up. So if you are interested on like an in-depth definition of intersectionality, that term was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. She has both papers and a TED talk about it, whether you like to read or just listen to your information. But she's absolutely fantastic, and she is a very wonderful advocate um, if you want to learn more about how intersectionality affects women of color specifically as her viewpoint and her perspective, but it applies to all walks of life, and everyone has more than one identity. Everyone in this room has more than one identity. You're not just one thing. Of course. The ones that are on there, so the physical, the assault and the physical the stuff happens in, oh, do I? Here you go. I, gotcha. I, I never know if I'm loud enough. Um, so the, the stuff with physical assault and the harassment are all on school property. The other things are, when they do the questions, I believe it is online, but it, they try to have it start to stem from school, like being from classmates or an issue that comes from school. If it's... A, So I don't think, I, me, I wouldn't put a huge differentiation on it because you don't know when it's going on online. It could be going on in your classroom. It could be later on at home. So I think just the general tone and the overtone of your building and your classes is really what we could focus on and how we treat one another. You can't always control what happens outside your classroom or there's a lot that goes on outside of here that you can't control. But I think for us, we focus on what we control in our own room or in our building and then the culture that you create in the building and when you have kids in front of you. Additionally, I know it's been a couple years since I was in high school. None of the bullying that I received or the complaints that I received from my club members were based on online comments. They were all happening in face-to-face -face interactions or behind people's back about another person. Um, I was the bi bitch in high school for all four years. And I don't think a single teacher ever intervened if that was said in their presence. Um, my brother, when he joined high school, I was a senior and he was a ninth grader. We rode the same bus, went to the same clubs, and even if comments weren't directly about him, you could just see all of the color leave his face when someone on that bus said, oh, I don't want to be near a tranny. 
he wasn't even out at that point. And I, me being big sis would honestly try to be as intimidating as I could in front of that person so that he didn't come anywhere near my brother at any point because I knew that it could escalate to something physical. Um, we were lucky enough to have coaches that did intervene in terms of ski and snowboard club and track and field, and it was the coaches that really stepped up in those settings, which I very much appreciated, and I'm still in contact with most of them to this day. I'm going to talk a little bit about gender as a whole. Um, the differences between sex and gender have been pretty distinct for years now, but a lot of times they're used interchangeably, and I hope to clear up any of the confusion surrounding those two terms. First and foremost, gender identity is how you personally identify yourself. So someone who's genderqueer, someone who's gender fluid, someone who's trans, a man, a woman, I identify as a woman, and that is my gender identity. I'm a cisgender woman. Your sex assigned at birth is your anatomy. And here, a lot of people also think that there are only two options, male or female. And in doing that, you exclude a very large population of people known as intersex people who are born with either both XX and XY chromosomes, different combinations of the reproductive organs, different levels of hormones. And believe it or not, the number of people in the world that are actually intersex medically, biologically, is about as frequent as someone who has red hair. It's about the same percentage of the population as redheads. It's about 1.7%. Oftentimes, the medical community will decide for the parent and the child what their sex assigned at birth will be so that they can nicely check that box, male or female. But a very large percentage of the population is actually intersex and don't even know it. Um, in terms of gender expression, that is the broader category, but that's what you see. So your gender expression is how you dress, if you wear makeup, how you talk, your mannerisms, how you choose to express yourself. A lot of people think that if I express myself masculinely, that must be how I identify, or if I express myself femininely, that must be how I identify. But if you look at a closeted person who might not be out at home and comes in in a dress every week or so, there's no way that you can know if that person uses he, him pronouns uses she, her pronouns, uses they, them pronouns, or their own gender identity. There's no way that you can tell based off of expression. And I would like to also point out that gender expression can be interpreted very different ways depending on the populations that you're with. The age range, the culture, the country, the region of our country, what I am wearing right now in some areas of this country would be considered incredibly masculine. I like to think it's pretty feminine. I got some purple going on here. I'm, I'm rocking the makeup. But in some areas of this country, I would be perceived as incredibly masculine wearing this outfit. 
And when I used to give these trainings, I would come full, full suit, tie and all, just to make this point. Because I still identify as a woman regardless of what I'm wearing. So to identify as cisgender is when your gender identity, how you are on the inside, matches the sex that you were medically assigned at birth. A lot of times, people hear cisgender and use it incorrectly, and it's almost kind of funny when they don't think that you should talk about gender, and, oh, I don't, I don't know what cisgender is. You shouldn't be talking about that with kids. It's people that identify the same way that they were medically assigned at birth. Um, the, the most frequent uh, gender identity is cisgender. That is the largest percentage of people. And if you are trans or transgender, that's an umbrella term for anyone whose gender identity does not match the sex that they were medically assigned at birth. That can be fully male to female, female to male, or anywhere in that binary or off of that binary, including genderqueer people, androgynously pe people who identify as androgynous or non-binary. And there's a very wide range of genders that fall into the transgender label. Last but not least, I talked a little bit about this already, is gender attribution. It is how your gender is perceived by those around you. And this can change pretty frequently depending on where you're at. So the example that we have is dresses and how they are historically or stereotypically feminine. However, if you were in ancient Rome, that was a completely masculine and acceptable thing to wear. So what clothing or mannerisms we deem to be masculine or feminine is very fluid and changes in time, in space, depending on where we are, depending on our cultures, depending on how we were raised. So I think that's something to take note of because as you work your way through your understanding of gender and gender expression, it's very important to understand that how, what you think someone might identify as does not necessarily mean that is the truth. I know I said a lot of terms, so quick review. Here's our visual for that. Your sex assigned at birth, intersex female or male, and that's what the medical community labels you. Your gender identity is how you identify and see yourself. Your gender expression is how you want to display your gender and how you do so on a day-to-day -day basis, and that can change from day-to-day. -day. And gender attribution is how your gender is perceived by others. I'm going to get this back to you now. I guess the only thing I'd add with the aspect of gender is I think for many of us, myself included, before I started working with glisteners, I always looked at it as a binary, your gender binary, male or female. So part of what's not included in that, in that category is students who are gender fluid or gender non-conforming. So you're going to probably hear that a little bit. So gender fluid are students who really have not, I wouldn't say decided, but they are not believing in this idea of male, female, and they're not going to 
that's not how they're going to present themselves and that's not how they view themselves. Um, so that when you see the gender neutral pronouns, a lot of students that want the they, them pronouns, that's, that's where they're at. Um, it's confusing and it's hard initially when you get, get students who um, identify as that. And it took me a while myself to get used to that pronoun usage with students. Um, but that is one I think people start to see more and more of. So that idea of gender non-conforming, they're not going to conform to being either male or female. They don't want to put themselves in either one of those boxes. Or they could fluctuate. They could feel like they're male and then they want to be identified as male or sometimes female. And in my head, I always thought you had to pick one and that's where you resided. And that's not really the case. Kids really should be where they're most comfortable. Um, and I think in my head, that was what took me the longest to wrap my head around. Uh, so how do you support, right? So we don't want to be here with all the negative stuff that takes place um, and beat people up about what happens in school. Because I would say the vast majority of kids um, are pretty comfortable in school and come here every day. Um, but it's, a, it's about we're reaching the kids that aren't comfortable. And how do you get to all those kids? And so. What we look at is four supports to create inclusive schools. One is a enumerated policy. So basically, comprehensive anti-bullying policy that specifically addresses um, sexual orientation or gender identity and expression. So when you're looking at your code of conduct or you're looking at um, you know, even the DASA forms, right? Like what's your protected classes? So specific things detailing protections for LGBTQ students. Now, as you know, so as either teacher or principal, those are really important to have those spelled out because that's your guidebook. That's what you have to work with when you're dealing with any consequences or student behavior. Supportive educators, educators who show their support to LGBTQ students, and educators who've had staff trainings on how to L address LGBTQ bullying. I think uh, someone over here mentioned about whether things are taking place in the classroom or whether they're taking place online. And I don't know if we gave you like the, the answer you're looking for. I think it happens in both places. I think we personally in school, I think when I was a principal, I heard both. I heard what happened in school and I heard what happened outside of school. The biggest complaint I always got from students was that things would happen in their classroom and nobody would address it. Nobody would say anything. And I think that there's, for multiple reasons, I think sometimes you don't hear it. You've got 24 kids and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Now you've got masks, right? And so trying to figure out what kids are saying when they've got masks on. So you've got all these different challenges. The reality is when you do hear it and you see it is to call them out on it and really just call out the attention, and whether you do that in a public way or whether you do that privately, but calling out that attention if people are using inappropriate words, like that's gay, he's a fag, those things are things that kids still say, and they have those conversations, they have it in the hallway, they have it in classrooms. So those are things if you call kids out and really make sure that they know that that's not appropriate behavior in any capacity, in any school or in any situation. The more you address it, the less you're going to deal with it over and over. But it's, it's prevalent in terms of the way that kids speak. Um, I have a 14-year-old boy and I have a 10-year-old boy. And when their friends come over, sometimes I cringe because I want to smack them. But I don't want to embarrass my kid. But they say really dumb things sometimes. And so some of it's too at home educating your own kids about what's appropriate to say and what's not. Um, and luckily at home, you know, you could, you could have different conversations than you can in the classroom. But when you don't call out behavior, in your classroom and kids think that you hear it, if you don't call it out, you are passively agreeing to the language being said in your classroom. So I cannot stress this enough. If someone says something inappropriate in your room within earshot of other kids and you stand there and don't say anything, the kids are passive thinking, okay, Mrs. Smith's okay with that. 
He just called this student that name and they didn't say anything. They didn't call him out in that moment. And whether you heard it, didn't hear it, that's the hard part. I do understand that. But in those moments you do hear it, if you don't call it out, you're passively agreeing to that language being used in your room and you're basically contributing to a culture where people think that's okay to use those words. So, so again, a couple things to part with. Please, if you hear it, call it out, right? There's no exact way to do it, but it's just addressing it and saying it's not appropriate is literally just the very start of it. It's not hard to do. Um, but if you don't, those are some of the issues that students have is that's the biggest complaint I always got. Happens all the time, Mr. Bossi. No one says anything. I think some of that's an exaggeration, but that really will be what you hear quite a bit. So enumerated policies and then supportive educators. Um, we used to do triangle stickers that people would put on their windows. Like, that's great, but that's not enough. Really, it's doing things like pronouns in the beginning of the school year, introducing yourself with pronouns. When you work with students in the beginning of the year, introduce yourself and ask students to introduce, introduce themselves to you as being respectful of their pronouns, having a culture in your classroom where language that's derogatory towards anyone is not accepted. Those, that's what we mean by supportive educators. Not putting a sticker on your window, it's being present and understanding what's going on in the classroom. And so the last two I'll give to Jordan, because those are two I think she's uh, passionate about as well. Thank you. So I've talked a little bit about student-led clubs and my involvement with them, but just out of curiosity, how many people here know when your GSA meets? Four, five, six, six people, seven. I asked, that was the first thing I asked when I came in, your GSA meets on Mondays after school, um, usually in the same room, but it changes, so I won't give that location because it seems to change pretty frequently, um, but typically in room 35. And I think it's really important that educators understand this and know this and show up and support if they feel they are an ally or if they are in the community and also just knowing it in the back of your head if you do have a student that you think needs the extra support if the student has come to you and said hi this is repeatedly happening i keep being called gay or if a student comes out to you as gay or trans you should have that resource it's a terribly powerful resource that you have right here in your school already and a lot of people don't know about it Students are pretty good about getting the word out, but it's really important as allies to know this information and to support that club. Um, I talked a little bit about GSAs. I won't harp on it, but I think it's really, really important for you all. It definitely is the reason for a lot of students to show up to school. In terms of inclusive curriculum, this is something that I am terribly passionate about, both in high school and even more so now that I am in college. I would be remiss if I did not talk about how curriculums are being regulated and how state governments are choosing to regulate our conversations surrounding LGBTQ topics with our students. We are very lucky in New York that we are free to talk about these issues with students. and honestly encouraged to. I think one of the hardest things, while I know you are a high school, but is being in elementary school and having to explain why your family is different or 
how I don't have a dad, but that's okay, because none of my teachers ever talked about that. And in high school, it was, oh, well, don't you have a sister? Nope, I have a brother. Oh, well, I thought you had a sister. Well, I have a brother. Let it go. And had a teacher ever talked to these students about it, they wouldn't be entering the professional world not having an understanding of pronouns, not having an understanding of gender, not having an understanding of sexuality. I made it all the way to college to have someone tell me that being transgender was a brand new thing, and that if I were to go home and ask my parents about it, they wouldn't know a single trans person. He was very surprised by my response. Let's not let students leave high school having no concept of these things. They can't enter the workforce not understanding these things. It will get them into trouble with their employers. It will get them into trouble with their colleges. Students have been removed from college campuses for repeated misgendering. And I think it is largely due to ignorance most of the time, but it is crucially important that we include this into our curriculum. Additionally, for queer students, having never been exposed to curriculum that includes them, queer people in history, any topic, arts, sciences, government, it's everywhere. It's so easy to bring up queer people. And a lot of times we do talk about queer people and don't mention the fact that they were queer. It's a very simple shift and having that representation is super important for students to feel safe. Last point here, I teach LGBTQ sex ed because health classes refuse to. I don't know how many health teachers are here. It's so important because students make it to college not knowing anything about sex ed for queer people. And that's really dangerous for a myriad of reasons, which I'm sure you can understand. And sexual harassment rates are much higher. If you are a queer person, you have a much higher likelihood to be sexually harassed, both in high school and college. So inclusive, inclusive curriculum can solve a lot of that if it's taught early. If you understand gender and pronouns at age 14, you're not going to be shocked when someone in college asks you to refer to them by they, them pronouns. You're not going to be abusive when someone asks you to change names. And also, you won't be removed from your college campus for being abusive and repeatedly misgendering somebody, because it does happen. I've seen it happen. In terms of this effect, the immediate effect in high school, this is the newest slide that GLSEN has released from their research, and this is really awesome because it shows that these support systems that we've identified are working. And that's really encouraging for us to continue to do the research and continue to do the advocacy that we do. So in this figure, this is of trans and non-binary students with higher levels of school belonging. And this is due to the presence of supportive resources. Supportive school clubs, it went from 26.5% to 48.8%.
in schools that there are supportive school personnel, teachers, staff, faculty, administration, it jumped from 18% to 53.1%. For inclusive curricular resources, it jumped from 34.7% to 65.5%. And last but not least, comprehensive anti-bullying and harassment policy jumped from 37.5% to 57.2%. So we know that these are working and that's really exciting for us. And I know we have one more, so. I guess this one for me and the, the other one is about um, attendance, but I'm gonna go back to this other. No, it's okay. One of the things that I worked on probably the most when I was a high school principal was getting students to feel a sense of belonging because I felt like if they felt like they belonged in school and they had safe spaces to go, that they would feel a little bit more connected to school and then they'd wanna come to school. I'd have less behavioral issues. I'd have less issues going on in the building. And for us, we, my small school, I was in Chalmont as a high school principal in Rotterdam, I thought we did a pretty good job over time getting students to feel like they belong. So when we look at this data, we did, this is brand new for us. This is actually new statistics that they've started to share. It makes me feel a little bit better about the work I guess I've been doing for most of my career because I have not focused on probably most of the things that you know principals are supposed to focus on. I always was worried about like, do kids feel connected to school? The content stuff is great, but the reality of it is, if kids feel comfortable and they come to school, they're willing to take risks. They're willing to take educational risks. They're willing to take classes when you suggest, hey, why don't you try and stretch and take world language for four years and not just one and bail. Uh, but when kids are comfortable, they're willing to do things. And so uh, it's always been a, a focus of mine. So when this came out, I was like, maybe I was onto something uh, when I started doing this. So I always look to what are the things that teachers can do, right? So there's policy, which isn't really a, which which is really dealt with at the board level and your administration. What can you do? So if you look at two of the big numbers there, it's inclusive curriculum and supportive school personnel, right? So it doesn't have to be an act of your administration. It doesn't have to be from your board of ed. It's actually what you do in your classroom. It's what you teach and it's how you treat your students. Those are some of the biggest indicators of success for us, for students feeling comfortable and coming to school. So I think I've talked to lots of schools and like, well, my administration doesn't really, you know, they're not really happy talking about this topic because sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it can get controversial. You're in a fairly liberal neighborhood. I'm a parent, I'd support you. Uh, but I do understand why people would get nervous. But what you can do is a lot of those things are what happens in the four walls of your classroom. And how you treat kids is probably the most important one. But those are things that are super important. That doesn't have to come from a board of ed thing. It doesn't have to come from policies from school. It happens what takes place in your classroom. So I always look at this and I'm like, okay, it works, right? So one of the things that we really look at is like how we treat kids. And does that correlate to them feeling more comfortable? Yeah, it does. Uh, and the other one that shows some of the same things is how that impacts attendance. I don't know what your attendance rates look like. That was a huge fight that I had in my building because kids love to skip school. You're a little out, right? Like you're not close to like a, a main strip where they can take off and go find places to hang out. You're a little bit more geographically isolated out here, which is probably good. Uh, but I think every kid in Gilliland has a car. I've already told my kid no. No, no, thank you. He wants an electric one because he wouldn't drive anything with gas because he's... He's too bougie. Uh, so for your kids who can't run away and run out of your building, it's like, I don't know what your attendance looks like. For us though, we really worried about kids taking off, right? And like go and find stuff to do. 
when you look at your attendance rates and what that does, when kids are here, most likely they're going to pass. If they're here and they're connected to the school, they're going to do the things they need to do and not be in the office too much. And they're going to graduate, which is one of our big goals. So if you look at the difference between schools that have supportive personnel versus schools who don't, and schools that have inclusive curriculum versus those schools who don't, the difference is you're starting to look at it for this is specifically for trans kids, but it's also for all kids um, that we support. The more inclusive you are and the better you treat students, the more they're going to be here in school because they're going to feel comfortable. Right? And that's really ultimately what we want them to do is feel comfortable in school. When they're here, they're going to be better to actually get the things done that we hope that they're going to complete. So resources and support. Uh, this is a ton of stuff. I, I totally get it. Definitions. Gender unicorn and some of the national stuff. We did not go over the list of pronouns and we did not go over the list of um, all the definitions that you could, you could look at because there's just a tremendous amount and it changes. So I think I did this training pre-COVID and then when I did it again a couple of weeks ago at Farnsworth, I gave up because I said there's, there's a bunch of new ones that I'm not going to try and remember. So uh, we'll email you this information. The teaser site gives you definitions in the gender unicorn. It's kind of like the GLSEN chart, but it looks more at the idea of that gender unicorn in terms of not being the single binary. The GLSEN, there's a national page. That includes the research. So if you actually want to, uh, I know there's probably some people who love statistics. If you want to look at the, the research data, and it goes back for probably over 20 years, all that is in uh, on the website. And there's also a whole section for teacher resources and teacher support. Most of that stuff on there, I would say, is vetted by educators throughout the country. So there's lessons, there's lesson plans, there's research to support, all that's on there. If you get anything out of that website, I do hope you look at the pronoun usage sheet, and I think Jordan had one link to it. For the beginning of your school year, we kind of create a pronoun sheet, how to introduce yourself, but how to ask your students about their pronoun use. And there's some very important questions like, do your parents know? about this pronoun, right? Because the, the, the murky territory in high school is, well, if I'm going to call you by, the, the, by a female pronoun, is, is all the rest of your teachers doing that? Are your parents aware of that? And then you get into the fun part of high school transcripts. And when you apply for the SATs, which we could say for a whole nother day, which I can go on and on and on about. But the pronoun sheet for your classroom is really important for you to understand your students and how they want to be referred to. Glisten Upstate is our local chapter site. So the folks that actually are involved at the local level that do training. So Jordan, myself, and Marsha, who's on our board, that information about us, the local support for teachers, but also the local events for kids, right? Because that's the other part that we are really passionate about is finding spaces for kids to find their tribe and the people that they're comfortable with. And then lastly is my email address and Jordan's. So we're going to leave and you're going to have a bunch of questions or there's questions you might not want to ask with everybody here you're always welcome to email and just say, hey, I have a quick question for you. Speaking of, does anyone have any questions? Nice segue. Yeah, I think we're pretty good on time. I know we have to get you out of here. Um, but if anyone has questions, feel free to ask now, or we'll stay back for a little bit. And we're happy to talk to anyone that wants to learn more about this going forward. All right. Thank you. Well, hey guys, I hope that video has helped you. I know it was lengthy. I wanted to put it up in its entirety because I didn't want anybody to think that I messed with it in any way or cut it out or spliced it or done anything like that because nothing 
was done. It is what it is. And I put it up in its entirety. Guys, if that helped you, if this podcast helps you, please like, share, subscribe, and follow. And if you know someone that has a child in a school system, you need to send this to them so that they're aware of what's going on, that they are aware of what the school's trying to do. Hey, guys, until next time, God bless.